wanted to start out with a question, so this might be kind of difficult with some of you guys that are, so you might want to just join tables for a minute <laughs> for the first question. But um, uh, I do have a lot, as Cheryl said. I have a lot of stuff I, I want to share. I kind of have sympathy for Rachel a couple weeks ago when she did the Beatitudes and did the whole Beatitudes in one day. And I'm doing the Lord's Prayer and just feels like there's so much to talk about. And I'm so excited about it. But um, So I have a lot, so we're going to get right at it. Um, but why don't you um, start out with talking around your table if you've ever had an experience that where you have just felt exhilarated. I want you to get in the mode of what it's like to feel exhilarated. An experience where you just felt totally alive, just giddy, just, just this was just the best thing. Um, so talk about that around your table a little bit. Okay, now I've got another question for you. Just another quick question. We're going to go right back into another question. Now I've talked about what it feels like to be exhilarated and giddy and all that kind of thing. Now I want you to see... Talk around your table. Everyone just give a couple words. What is the emotion that comes to mind when you say, when you think about prayer? What is it that comes to your mind? Immediately rises to the surface. When you think about prayer, I'm going to go pray. What does that mean to you? What are some of the emotions that come up inside of you when you think about prayer? And it's going to be quieter in the room. It did get lots of quieter. It didn't even get noisier. Usually it kind of kind of rises and I hear it louder and louder as we start talking um, around our tables. But what are some of those words? Do you want to yell out any of those words or descriptions you had when about or the emotions that come to the surface with prayer? Anybody have? What? Boring. What? Peaceful. Okay. Humble. Any other descriptions that came up? You're still talking about your exhilarating experiences, weren't you? <laughs> well, my goal today is to um, somehow trans- trans- think about um, how you felt when you felt that feeling of exhilaration and, and, and being totally alive and, and totally what you want to be doing when you're talking about exhilarate, being exhilarated when you think about your prayer life. You also are totally alive. When the, that was the emotion that comes to your mind. That's my goal today. I know that's that's just what I, I want for you to feel when you think. Not that there's anything wrong about being peaceful or humble. Those are beautiful thoughts too. But I just think we don't often think of, of just having this most exciting time when we're going to go into a prayer time with the Lord. And so that's kind of my goal. This um, whole uh, semester we've been talking about the kingdom of God and what that means. And we're going to continue to talk about that throughout this, the end of the year and into the 2015 for a while. And, um, but um, as we've been learning about it, it just seems like it's harder and harder to actually live like, God, like Jesus is teaching us how to live as a kingdom citizen. As Rachel talked a couple weeks ago about the Beatitudes, just seemed like how, it just seems so hard to live like that. Sometimes when we really think about it, and um, and, the, and it, that it almost feels like it's Im- impossible sometimes to be all that that the Lord asks us to be as citizens of this kingdom that He that we are a part of. And in reality, it is. I mean, we come into this world as these adorable, lovable, cute little babies, and then as we get older and older, we realize that we're really 
pretty nasty and we can say some pretty bad things and we can have some, be hurtful to people and then we realize that people can be hurtful to us and they can be nasty and life gets hard and we, we, we just, we, we get to a place where we just, um, know that, um, that we can't even possibly live this life that our culture tells us to live and, and, um, and then all of a sudden Jesus walks into our life. And he asks us to do things that are completely contrary to what um, the world is teaching us to be. He says things like he said in the Beatitudes, you will only feel really blessed, you only feel this totally love for me and this happiness for me when you are in this, this poverty of spirit, when you feel totally like, I just can't do it on my own. Then he says... That's when you will feel this blessedness, this happiness that's going to come to you. He says, only when you mourn, you will be blessed, he says. When you mourn and you will be comforted, then you feel the the total happiness that comes from from, from the Lord. This inside glow, this inside love. It seems hard to even imagine how, when we are mournful about our situation, how we could feel blessed, this happiness. And then we haven't even gotten to, that we'll talk in the next few weeks, but we haven't even gotten to where he says... Oh, it's only when you not only have to love your neighbor, but you have to love those people that are um, your enemies, and you need to pray for them. And we ask ourselves, how, Lord, how can I love my enemy? How can I be praying for these people that are beheading my brothers and sisters across the world? How can I love and, and pray for this person that maybe has molested me or, or hurt me or said hateful things to me? How in the world can I possibly do these things that you ask? Not only do them, but just be the, those people. How can I just... It just comes out naturally to forgive and to love. There's only one way that we can do that. And I want you to imagine um, a, a huge passenger train. And from the beginning of time, there's been this passenger train that is just coming our way. And it's coming, and it's coming faster, and it's coming faster. And, and it's called the kingdom train. Now, I know that's kind of an archaic thought to think of a, of a train anymore. It's not a very hip or way to travel anymore. But I just thought it was such a good visual because... Sometimes we we think that we can live in the kingdom and then live in the world, and we kind of go back and forth. I think um, we, we have this way of, we'll do it this way for a while, and then we want to do it this way for a while. But the idea of just getting totally on board on God's kingdom train is, is um, just the visual that I want you to think about this morning. I want you to think about getting out of this disintegrating, hard world and getting onto God's kingdom and his plan. And that's kind of a scary thought, to actually board something and go completely into a different world. Just what the Lord asked of Moses to do, to get completely leave Egypt and go. And he asked it of Abraham, leave and go. Christ himself had to leave heaven and go, and he asked us to leave and to go into his kingdom and live the life that he asked us to, to live. And it's a really hard thing to do, um, to understand what, what he is asking us to do. But believing, leaving behind the uh, old is a matter of trusting God for the new that he has in store for, for us. And there's still so much more that he has for us to do. But so much that we can't even possibly see. Um, God's given us this amazing Bible. There's so much in it there. He's given us his word 
There's so much in it there. He's given us Jesus and, and Jesus' words. And I, I just came across the statistic the other day, and I just thought it was so amazing that, you know, if you took everything that Jesus said in Matthew, and you read it out loud, every if you have a red-letter Bible, that's a Bible that's just is the words of Jesus. If you just took the Bible, read out, out loud what Matthew said, it would take you one hour and 22 minutes to say that. And if you took the, Bible, the, the book of Mark, um, it was only 22 minutes to read that out loud. If you took the book of Luke, it would take you only 53 minutes. And if you took the book of John, it would take you only 44 minutes. I think that's just amazing to think about because we know Jesus was on that hillside and he taught for hours on end, so long that he that people actually were ta- were hungry and, and, and they needed to go get the food when you hear about the feeding of the 5,000. But we only have this small portion of what Jesus actually said. I just think that is um, just, uh, just really interesting to think about. And what he, um, so how, since we only have a fraction of what he had to say, how do we know, we know he has so much more to say, how do we know what he's saying to us? How do we understand what, what he's saying to us? He's given us only one way to do that. Not only studying his word, obviously there's, and, and the Holy Spirit that's teaching us, but only one way that we can continue to learn what he's saying to us personally, and that is through prayer. That is his gift to us, this unbelievable thing called prayer. I think I'm finally getting on um, completely on board with this kingdom train. The reason I, I say that is because a couple of weeks ago, there was um, the Ryder Cup. I don't know if many of you are golfers, but the Ryder Cup is this once every two years event, and there's the American golfers that normally play for themselves, and now they're playing for the team. They're playing for America, and then there's the European golfers, and, and they're playing all on a team, too. And It's just a crazy event and crazy things, and a couple years ago, I mean, when I'm I've always, it's been one of my favorite things to watch. I mean, I love to, 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 to because it's just a different event, and it's, it's you know, you're fight, doing it for your, your team, your nation, and so it's a whole different thing. But as I was watching it a couple weeks ago, I just looked at that, and there was um, this little tiny white ball that was rolling across the screen, and it dropped into this tiny little cup, and there was this huge, just this roar from the crowd, and these crazy people that dress up all crazy, they were just going going nuts. They were just, the guy that sunk the pup was just, you know, giving the fist pump and he was pounding on his chest and he was just so elated and so excited. And you know what the reaction for me was? I, I just totally, something that I, I love watching, but this time I just had this vitriol reaction to this, this excitement over a tiny little white ball that goes into a tiny little cup. And nations were just in uproar over it, just so excited. And I, I'm not anything against sporting events, but I, I just think God's put me just in this different place now where all this hoopla and, and stuff about all this sporting where we have these, these stadiums filled with people. And I'm saying, what in the world? What if people would get so darn excited about their neighbors coming to know Christ? What if we all gathered together and tried to help those people over in West Africa who can't even leave their homes and they, they can't even go out and earn a living and find food? What if we just pumped our fists about that? And instead, we are so excited about our football games and our, our, just our stuff here on earth. It just, and I, it just surprised me when I had this reaction. This, I mean, it, just, it was this... I don't know, maybe it was the wrong team that sucked the putt. I don't know. But <laughs> I just like... 
oh, this is disgusting. And, and, um, and I felt so alone because the whole world is cheering. And I felt so alone. And um, I think maybe many of you feel that same kind of feeling of, of that aloneness that, gosh, you know, I'm just in a different world sometimes. And I think we need to remember when we feel that, that, that there is going to be an amazing celebration at the end times in the future kingdom that we're all, all of us that are on that kingdom train are going to hit. We're going to be celebrating. Every knee is going to bow. Every, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's going to be the most amazing celebration that we ever have found. When we're going to have that, we have that in our future. We also have this amazing God who has angels in heaven helping us every single day. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, teaching us and giving us wisdom. But how do we access God? How do we get that power in our life? How do we get those angels on our side? How do we get to know what the Holy Spirit is saying inside of us? And there's only one way that we can do that, and that is through prayer. I believe that in order for that in order for us to be uh, really know what Jesus says, in order to be really live the life that Christ asks us to live as as the citizens in the kingdom, is through prayer. And if we aren't praying, then we're not necessarily on the right track all the time. We're doing a lot of our own living, and. Um, that's that's where I'm going with this today. I'm just so excited to be able to teach you a little bit more about what the Lord has taught me as I've studied the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to talk about that today. The Lord's Prayer, some of us call it the Our Father. Um, and there's there's um, never a mention of that in Scripture, that it's the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. It's just what the, t- the term that we've called it, called it. But I want you to talk around your tables for a minute about what is your history with the Lord's Prayer? Have you, um, what, what, did you learn it when you were a child? Do you say it all the time now? Just what is your history with the Lord's Prayer? Just talk, ch- share around your table a little bit about that. Well, I think, I don't know if many of you are like me, but, um, I think I've gotten to the point where sometimes when I say it, it's just only mindless reciting. It's almost like I don't even think about what I'm saying as I just kind of go through this rote prayer. And I just think that's so sad um, that that I've gotten to that place. But one of my most favorite memories when I was a little girl was I'd be sitting in bed at night and... um, my um, my daddy'd come in, and I'd be in my bed, and it'd be dark, and he'd say prayers with me. And a few times, it didn't happen very often, but I remember this so well because uh, um, because it was such a cherished memory. Is that he? I would say, Daddy, would you tell me what the Lord's Prayer means? And he would just go through that prayer just line by line. And I have no idea what he said, but whatever, it just felt so good when he would do that. It was just so wonderful. It's one of my most precious memories with my daddy. And we're going to do that today with our Heavenly Father. He's going to teach us today, line by line, what the Lord's Prayer says to uh, is saying to us. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 is where you're going to find uh, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us a few uh, guidelines before he goes into teaching us how to pray. If he, he, and they, that starts um, in verses 5. We're going to start reading there in verse 5. 
And he says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will will reward you. So the first thing that Jesus says to guidelines is um, to pray in private. And I put that there as your first fill in there. And it's not that we can't pray in groups. Jesus prayed in groups all the time. We know that the the apostles, they prayed in groups. But he shows us here to to pray in private. So why does he say pray in private? Why does he say that? I think there's three things that that he's trying to get across here. One, and he's very obvious about this first one, is don't be showy about it. Don't be like the hypocrites. The Hebrews, the Jews, when they pray, they would be on, or the Pharisees, they'd be on the street corners and they'd be saying all these long flowy prayers and Jesus says no don't be showy about it um, like these hypocrites and so it's about your motive that's not the reason you're to pray so uh, the second thing is to get away from all the distractions I don't know if you're like anything like me but I can imagine that you probably are that when you pray all these other things come into your mind it just kind of comes down all these all these distractions and so one of the things, if you get away in your um, in your in your own the privacy of your room, you're, you're eliminating some of those um, those distractions, and you can concentrate more on what you're thinking. You're not necessarily looking at um, or thinking about what what the, net, the what you're you're doing as much as as who you're speaking to. It's just a way to get away in your private. So get away from all those distractions, and especially I think this is true if you're a newer believer um, that to do. Um, just, just, it's just easier if you're just one-on-one because prayer can be kind of intimidating and just to be praying to Father and saying what you want to say um, is, is a great way to do it if you do it just alone. Um, and the third thing, and I think the most important thing, is that Jesus just wants to connect to you. He just wants to have time with you and you alone. I know one of my favorite things to do in our heartstrings, our table, we decided that once a month we go out for breakfast and we sit there for a couple hours and it's just a bunch of girls gathering around and we have breakfast and we talk and we share life. And it's just, we do, I just love to do this. And in fact, in my, um, in my, I, I didn't start having time with gals around coffee until just recently in in my later years it wasn't something we did we you know we were raising our kids we were we were um I was then I was working and and I just now I'm at this point in my life where I have this time and this to do this and it's just such a great joy to be able to just sit around and talk but even more important than that is what I love to do is when I get on one on one with one person I love doing that even more because it's then that you just get right into the heart of what that person is saying, you hear what they're what's bothering them, and I and they I can share what's bothering me, and it just it's this amazing connection that you can have when it's just one on one, and that's what Jesus wants to do with us. When we go into prayer in our little closet in our little world with the Lord, we are sharing our life with Him. We are sharing what is most dear on our heart with Him, and He is teaching us at the same time. It's an opportunity for us to hear what God is saying 
to us, the God of the universe. That's an amazing thing. And the more you do it, the more you have this one-on-one time, the more that you will just look forward to it and enjoy it and know when there's times when, oh, I just really need to get there. I need to go tell, I need to tell my, my father what's going on in my life. I need to be a part of that. And um, the more you do that, more you will feel this need to pray to the Lord. So those are the, the guidelines that Jesus has sort of given us. Um, um, as far as the first one is pray privately. And the second one is pray concisely. It's in verse 7 that he says, um, he says, And when you pray, he says, Do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. That's what they would do. Those pay, those. They would just babble on and on. So Jesus tells us to pray concisely. And then we ask the same question. Well, we know Jesus went off in the, at night and he prayed long prayers. He prayed long prayers. And now he's telling us just to pray, um, pray concisely. Just don't babble on. And I think, I think what he's saying here is that, um, that when we pray, we should just talk to him in simple language. What it's, it's not the length that he's talking about so much, it's, it's the how. It's not the babbling on and just trying to impress him with these big words or whatever. It's the how. It's just simply come to him and pray what is on your heart and what is on your mind. I know one of the things that has helped me the most, and especially with group prayer, is that, um, that I, w- I always think that whatever the Lord puts in my mind, he wants me to pray about that. If I'm, in, if I'm praying to him, he plays something on my heart. Even if it may seem silly or kind of crazy at the time, I believe he has asked me to be praying about that particular thing. And so when I'm praying in a group, I, whatever I say, I don't, I don't feel any kind of intimidation by that at all because I feel the Lord has just placed that in my heart. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about that. So when you pray, and, and when you're praying around your tables here, don't worry about what anybody else is thinking. We'll just all know that's what the Lord has asked you to say. And however it comes out, it's just totally fine. That's just totally fine. So pray what comes to mind, what God has placed on your heart. And then he says, the final, the last thing he says, to pray to the one who already knows what you need in verse 8. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what, for their father knows what you need before you ask him. And this is another puzzle. Okay, so if the Father already knows what I need, why should I pray? What's the point of praying if he already knows? And that's your next question. So go ahead and talk about that around your table. Pray to God for what we need. We're asking why Why should we pray if he already knows what we need? And, and he does know what we need. But doesn't our, doesn't our earthly father, if, we, if he knows he can help us with something, he still wants us to go and ask him for those things. He still wants us to, to let, uh, let him know that, that we are dependent on him for those things. He, and, and more importantly, he said he just wants, to get, wants you to have um, this relationship with him. It's all about this relationship with Jesus Christ and with the, the God the Father. It's engaging him in a conversation. It's a time to hear what is on his heart. If you're not quiet and listening in prayer, then you're not going to hear what Jesus has to say to you about a certain subject too. It's amazing when you put a need out there, what it is that you're, you're praying for, and as you continue to pray for it, it may completely change from what you thought you needed to what the Lord is going to give you an answer for. So it's this constant back and forth, this wonderful conversation, 
conversation that we can have with the God of the universe. I mean, it's an amazing gift. It's an amazing privilege that we have been given. And I think we just, we don't even think about that. So then, how should we pray? And Jesus says that in verse 9. He goes, this then, he says, is how you should pray. And I want you to notice that he says how, not what. He doesn't say, this is what exactly you should pray. You should pray it just like this. It's, it's this the Lord's Prayer is beautifully, and it's wonderful to, to, to say it by rote. But it's also just a pattern of a prayer. It's how we should pray. It's the things that we should be praying about. And, that, and we need to think of it in that, those terms. And he starts out with the words, Our Father. Um, Jesus begins with this Aramaic word of Abba. When he say that word, that Father. And this Abba has only been used three other times in Scripture. And every other time it says Abba and then it goes Father. It says Abba and then Father. It makes it very specific. And so I didn't even realize that when, when we're praying the Our Father that it's the same word. It's that Aramaic word for father, meaning daddy, this close, intimate word. And this was just radical when Jesus would taught what Jesus taught this because up until this moment, um, Jesus taught or the Hebrews or the Jews when they spoke, they spoke in the language of Hebrew. They did not speak in the language of the people. They didn't speak in Aramaic. I had never, never thought about that. But this was the all of a sudden. Because Jesus is teaching us how to pray and he's teaching us in the language of the people, the heart language of those people, all of a sudden he's opened up this whole culture of anybody can pray in any language what they want. And I, I mean, I didn't even, we just take that for granted. Of course we're going to pray in English. But up until then, no, it was for this own group of people, this special little group of people, the Hebrews, Jesus is saying, no, pray in your heart language. Pray in whatever language is on your heart. And that was a radical thought for that time. And I just think that is just amazing. There's no longer a sacred language and, and a sacred culture that can pray to the God of the universe. Anybody, any culture can pray. I just think that's amazing. And I, I, did you know, I think we, that we live in an unprecedented time. I didn't realize this until I was listening um, to Moody the other day. And they're talking about someone from Wycliffe Bible College. And they're currently translating the Bible into 2,900 some languages. I don't have the exact number. But currently that's what they're doing. There's only 1,800 dialects and languages left. I mean, that seems like a lot. But they say within our lifetime, every people group will have the word of God in their own heart language. In our generation. From the first time, from the fall of Babel, way back there in the Old Testament, when all of a sudden all these languages came up, till now... The word of God has not been in every people group, everybody's language. And all of a sudden, we live in that era. That's an amazing thing to think about. It's just a little side note. But when you think about this culture, everybody will have the word of God and everybody can pray in their own language, their own heart. The second thing that we learn from our fathers is that the Abba means daddy. I think I already said that there. But there's an inclusiveness to this word of Abba. Um, Normally, when from the time before, when you when they would pray, they would say, "God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, or God of our fathers." And if you were a Greek, who's this Abraham? Who's this Isaac? Who's this Jacob? I don't have any idea who that is. If you were somebody outside of the Jewish faith, you didn't have any idea who that was. All of a sudden, Jesus is saying, "You're saying our Father. Everybody has a father." 
So it's this inclusiveness. It includes everybody. Everybody um, can pray to the Father. It's no longer, again, for just the Hebrew people. And it's just such a, a beautiful thought, a radical thought for them when they first heard these words of how to pray. Also, this word Abba infers both respect, because when you have your father, you, especially in that culture, and hopefully in our culture, but the word Abba infers both respect and a profound personal relationship, like our word daddy today. So this intimate relationship that we can have with our father, he's saying, you're praying to this intimate father that you have. But it's also an idea of respect. And I think for some of us, there's kind of a, this, oh, my earthly father is a mess. I don't want anything to do with him. And it's really hard if you have one of those kinds of fathers in your life. Or, if, or maybe to a lot of people, they don't even have a father. They don't even know, what, especially in our culture, what a father figure even looks like. And Jesus teaches if you're us in the parable of the... Um, the lost son, what a real relationship, this relationship of father and fun, father and son should be. The father that he is talking about here that we get to pray to. He, in that um, story, and I'm not, not going to go into detail, but we all know it. It's where the, the, the son um, goes to his daddy and he says, you know, he wants his inheritance. And so he goes and he goes off and he lives this crazy wild lifestyle. He has no money left and he, he realizes his poverty of spirit. He realizes that he is nothing. It's just like that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's where he was. He was just nothing at that point. And he wanted to turn to his, his father, go back and just ask him, I'll just eat the crumbs off the, off the table if I, if I can just get back in, in good graces with you. And his daddy is sitting there and he's got his arms just outraged in form when he sees him in the distance and, and he embraces him and he throws this crazy party. That is the father, the Abba that we're looking at here. That father that just, he's so excited every time we fall down and every time we mess up and every time we have just horrible things that we do he's there, he's waiting for us with his open arms, he's reaching for us that's the Abba Daddy that he's talking about and that's just a beautiful picture of how this father is with all of his sons and daughters the other thing that I wanted to mention about this when he says our father is, is the fact that scripture has both male and female um, metaphors to describe God. I think sometimes in our culture we think, well, why is it always the father figure? Why is it the male thing? And, um, but God has is spirit. He is neither male nor female. He is spirit. And uh, he uses other examples where he, it's a female. And I put a couple of those in, in your in your notes there, and um, Deuteronomy 32.18, I think I put that in, the, the God who gave you birth. He, he says in 1 John 3.9, tell the believers that they are born of God. These are female metaphors. He said um, that Jesus describes himself as a mother hen with her chicks. These are female metaphors. So there's both male and female. So we don't need to get all excited about the fact that it's our Father. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to think about. Then I also want you to note that it does not say, my father. A lot of times when I pray, I just say, father, thinking it's just my father. But he's saying, our father. We are in this amazing family. We all have the same father. Um, and I, we, think, we need to think about that from time to time. And it includes all of us, all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. He is our father. Even those that don't believe, he's still their father. Um, and that when we think about this, 
ourness of all of us. It, then we think about our brothers and sisters across the world that are hurting. There are brothers and sisters. When we're praying to our Father, our hearts need to break for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. Um, so I think that's, um, in just two words, a lot that he's saying to us there. And then he goes on, he says, in heaven, and that can be translated, who is in the heavens or who art in heaven. And that idea that God is near in this intimate relationship, but then wait, he's also far away. He's in the heavens. So it's not only this intimacy of nearness, but he's far away. Um, And he, he says it right in those four words. We need to think about that. And God is approachable is the other word there that I, I may not have given you very much space in your <laughs> in your work grades for these longer words. But God is approachable, and yet he dwells awesome, in awesome majesty in the heavens in all his glory. So here's this, this intimate relationship. He's approachable. He wants to talk to us every day. And he is in the heavenlies in glory, this idea. It's this contrast between the two. Our Daddy in the heavens. It's an amazing contrast there. Um, just to break things up for a minute, I want you to think about which of these thoughts that we've just talked about here resonates with you the loudest. Just, just dwell on one, any of these things that hit that we've been talking about um, that just have hit you, or maybe a new thought. So just share around your tables where you are with what we've been talking about so far. Oh my. Jesus said so much in four words. Our Father in heaven. So as he goes on, um, Jesus is giving us, now we've got to the, we've, we found out who we're speaking to. We're speaking to our Father who is in heaven. As we've, we've identified who it is that we're, we're speaking to as we pray. Um, and then he gives us three lofty themes, and I put those down. One, he's make, to make holy the name of God. Two, the coming of the kingdom of God. And three, the fulfilling of the will of God. These are just lofty themes. And then he gives us three, breaks it down into three real worldly, uh, what we need to focus on as, as a believer today in our world, our daily bread, forgiveness in the community or with our brothers and sisters and with the Lord, and freedom from evil. All of these things include an act of God and an act of us, our participation as the believer. So all of these things, as we're praying, there's two things that are included, and we'll, we'll break those apart as we talk about it. But there's an act of God, and then um, the participation of the believer. So he starts out with the first lofty theme, and, theme, and it's hallowed, hallowed be your name, which actually means, may it be made holy your name. And this, we just scratch our head at this too, Lord, where we're praying, may your name be made holy. Well, I mean, God is the essence of holiness. Why are we praying for that? He is holiness. He is everything that we could possibly think of as essence. And, and, um, but he's asking us, hallowed be your name. Have you ever heard about keeping your family name um, untarnished? Have you ever thought of that in your own in your own household? I don't know if your family was one of these. I've um, been watching this this summer. I had I just had so much fun. I was watching all four seasons of Downton Abbey. I don't know if you guys have watched that season show. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's just so fun. It was it's a masterpiece theater, and I just went out and I 
Rand kept running them, and when Chris was doing something else that he couldn't be together, then I would just sit down in my little basement and watch Down the Abbey, which is just the story of this aristocratic family, and it's just the just the culture and everything was just fascinating to me. But um, it was this really aristocratic family, and they had this abbey, and they were lords of the abbey, and and um, it was set in the early 1900s, right before World War One, and it's, it's now this year it'll be in the 1924 or something like that, and so it's just been so fun to, to look at that, but every time something kind of happened in the family, they were so worried about the family name and the pretenses of what it would do to the, the, the name that they, of, of their family group. And um, and they they didn't want to defile their name. It's the same kind of idea when Jesus is asking us to pray for how how would be your name? Israel, the, the whole nation of Israel defiled God's name. If, if you remember, whenever they would go off and they would be bowing down to idols and they'd be living their life for something other than God, and they would they would they, and then God would get so upset with them. They continually did it so much so that at, at one point in history they were completely conquered by the Babylonians and the and they were taken into exile and no longer did this special promised group of people that God had set apart, no longer did they have a king, no longer did they have their own land, they were taken from Jerusalem their their city that was so important and what did that look to the outside world? It looked as if God wasn't big enough to take care of his people they defiled God's name when they did that I remember when I was part of a church startup uh, years back, and, and all, and we were going gangbusters, having so much fun doing it, and, and we kept building. We got more and more people involved, and then all of a sudden there was a church split, and uh, it was just it was awful. It was the worst thing that I ever thought. And I know that the the thing that came to my mind is, you know, if the people of God can't even get along, what are the outsiders going to think of that? What do they think? I mean, just what does that do to God's name? His holy name. And even on a more personal level, level, how does my life defile God's holiness? In this prayer, and I think I put this down here, that the believer is asking God to demonstrate his holiness. So we are asking God to demonstrate his holiness. And God is like a loving father who loves us. And on the other hand, God is holy. He is holy. And that holiness demands a purity from the believer in righteous living. It demands something of us. When we're praying for his holiness to be revealed, it's also asking something of us. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. This is... When I think of prayer, I say this every morning, this particular portion of scripture, Isaiah 6. And if you just turn to the middle of your Bibles, and then start going to the right a little bit, you'll get to the prophets. And Isaiah 6 is probably my favorite verses in the Bible. <laughs> oh, there's a lot, but these, this is one of my, one I, I say every morning. Um, because I love this thought of, this is when Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah was taken into, in a vision, seeing God in his holiness in the heavens. And, um, he says right there in verse 1, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So here he is. He's in the, he's, he's in the, in the heavenlies with God, seeing. And this, what I think about this every morning, because I think this is what's happening right now. This is a vision of what's happening at this moment. God is in the heavenlies right now. And then there's talks about the, all of the, the seraphs and the angels that are, they're, they're, they're all over, thousands of them in their 
they're, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And then at the sound of their voices, the thresholds in the doorpost shook. And then, this is the part that I wanted to get to here. In verse 5, this is Isaiah's response. He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean, unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And what I want to note there is that when we really see God in His holiness, we see really who we are. We see our our desperate need for Him. It's only when we realize His holiness that we realize how corrupt we are. This would be our... Isaiah was a righteous man. If he is feeling totally, woe to me, I'm ruined... When he sees God Almighty, you can imagine how we as mere mortals feel about it. Um, and I love that picture. And, and I think that's what he's saying there. So there's, there's two parts to this prayer of how would be your name. God's part is to make his own name holy, to reveal his holiness to his people. But our part, I am expected to live a holy life. Um, and no one will be perfect at that, obviously. But that's, it's just a, it's a goal out there that we, we, we need to think about. I want you to ask yourself a question around the tables. Have you ever thought of your life either revealing or defiling God's holiness? God's holy name. Have you thought about that? Talk around your table about that. That's maybe something that you can think about a little bit more in your own private life because we're running out of time. <laughs> so you can't talk as long as I'd like, but that's something to think about. When you Are you revealing God's holiness? Are you defiling it? Which, which two are you leaning more for? Which, what does your life represent? Um, so we've, we've gone through the first lofty theme, that idea of making holy the name of God. The second one he's, he says to pray about is your kingdom come. Um, and this is the one that excites me the most because I just I get so excited thinking about his kingdom coming um, but didn't didn't Jesus already come and this is also this this paradox here that Jesus didn't he already come what didn't his kingdom already come when Jesus landed here on earth and and he's in our in our lives now isn't that are we already part of that kingdom and I explained this a little bit in the very first um, message that we had so we're not going to go into it a lot of detail but it um, but and but the kingdom has already come in, in the presence of Jesus. But also the kingdom is still in the future and will come to its final consummation when Jesus returns. So we're in the, in, the kingdom has already come, yes, but not to its fullest. It's coming greater. I mean, it, it, this isn't even anything like what we're going to see. So it's come, but it's also in the future. The kingdom is near in the form of Jesus, but it's also far away. It's not, it's not right here, right now. Also, we are to watch for the signs of it coming, Jesus. And this is another thing I'm just going to touch on it quickly. We're supposed to watch for this coming, but no one will ever know the time of its coming. In every age, and I, I'm hearing it so much right now that everybody feels we're in the end times. I, Dr. David Jeremiah said it yesterday. Uh, uh, just Billy Graham, Ann Graham Lotz. I mean, there's a lot of big guys that are thinking that, that we're, we're getting close. But we will never know. The Bible teaches us we will never know. And um, so 
it may there may be signs that it's coming close and we should but we should always be watching for it looking living our life expectantly that yes it could be just around the corner um, and that's what he's saying when he said to pray for your kingdom come pray for it we are asking God to manifest the power and the glory of his kingdom in us and throughout our world is what he's, we're asking there God's part God brings in the kingdom my part I am to work towards the goal of its coming so I'm to work towards the goal of its coming so God is going to bring it on but I'm supposed to work towards that goal so what does that mean what does that mean Uh, what does that look like working towards the goal of the kingdom coming I want you to give some examples of that around your table just what is that what could you be doing to working towards that goal of God's kingdom coming so um Jesus now has said his, his second lofty theme, theme, this idea of the coming of God's kingdom. I've got a, a question for you. When you pray, do you think about that very often? Do you think about when you're praying, your kingdom is coming, and so this need that I have, does it fit into that? Or just, I, I was just thinking about that. How I, I don't know how often I actually think about having that his kingdom is coming, and, and you enter that into your prayer life it's like it just it radically changes your perspective right away it just makes you think completely different than maybe what you had been thinking because um, it puts everything in a proper perspective that his kingdom is coming how does this work in your kingdom lord as i'm praying for this it, it's and, and jesus tells us that's what we're supposed to be praying for the next lo- the next lofty theme that he talks about is your will be done and I, I mean, every time I read these things, it, they just raise more questions than they do answers. When I, I'm, and so another question immediately came to mind for me. Isn't God's will what, what, that which is going to happen? I mean, are we praying for God's will to be done? Isn't he sovereign? Doesn't he have control of everything? If so, why in the world are we supposed to be praying for his will to be done? That's your question. So talk around your tables about that one. So did you get any great conclusions there? We have this great conflict that's going on, this tension, this amazing, this paradox again, that God's will is going to happen, but we know that he has given us free will, and we're responsible for our actions. And and so when we're praying for his will to happen, we want to get on board with what his will is. We want to be part of what his will is. So when we're praying, thy will be done, it's, it's, it's our heart's cry to know that we on our own are messed up and we're going to do things our own way. We have this freedom that he's given us. But we need to get on board with God's will, to live my life as he wants it to, us to live it. And when you take the whole phrase together, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it gives us this clarification. Because in heaven, God's will is perfect. And we, but we live in this sinful world, this world here that we have to try to maneuver around. And as we mess up in life, God's will is constantly having to be changed around because when our sin enters in. What if we all just fervently prayed for God's will to, ha- to happen? What an amazing thing that would be. That's all we would pray for. God, we just want your will here on earth, not our own petty little will. I used to think of these two phrases separately. The idea of the kingdom coming as one thought 
and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven as the second thought. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven on this other idea. But it's one continuous thought. God's kingdom is coming to earth. It's coming here. Um, and and that's, that's an amazing thing to think. I used to think it was up there in the heavenlies, and, and when, when Jesus returned and we'd have the new heavens and the new earth, we'd be up there in the heavenlies. But no, he teaches that we'll be right here on earth. Um, I, I'm gonna, there's a couple verses I really want to go to. Um, look in Second Peter. It's very, at the very end. And if you don't have time to turn to it, I'll, I'll read it to you. But we're going to look at Second Peter. It's at the back of the Bible. And um, let me see, uh, verses ten through thir- uh, chapter three, verses ten through thirteen. This is in the future. This is not yet to happen, and this is what it said. It says, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief." The heavens will disappear like with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Um, and it goes on. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of heavens by fire. I think that was really interesting when I read that. It just... Those are, that's matter. You can't burn up matter. The heavens are real things there. But the heavens will be, will bring about the destruction of the earth, the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. I just think that's beautiful. I'm going to read... Revelations 21. The same idea. That this new heavens and new earth, they're going to be here. If you want to turn with me, you can, or you can just listen to the words. Also prophecy, this is in our future. I think it's 12. Um, 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I just think, and then it goes on, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. When we pray for, for um, this new heaven, this, we're praying for his will to, and this new kingdom that's coming on earth as it is in heaven currently. It's going to be down here. There's something else to think about is... Um, I, I sometimes, a lot of times, think of my life as just a preparation for this heaven. Just life is just about getting ready for heaven, getting myself in the right spirit, and getting myself ready for heaven. It's more than that because God is saying here to pray for His will to be done on earth right now, as it is in heaven right now. 
So he's praying. He cares so much about our earth. He's praying for us to take care of the earth right now. It's not about necessarily, necessarily getting ready ourselves ready, but he cares about all of earth right now and his will to be taken care of right now and all of the citizens of the earth right now. That's his heartbeat. That's what we need to be pray, praying for. Um, so God's part, God fulfills his will. Yes, he does. He will no, most definitely fulfill his will. But my part, I am to discover that will and obey it in my daily life here on earth. I am, it's my part is to discover his will and obey it here on earth. He goes on. That's the third lofty thing. And then he gets into the stuff that's it's more practical for today. He says, give us today our daily bread. Um, he's talking about here, um, um, of our daily, these are, this is where we get into our, what are our needs? What are the things you absolutely need? And notice that he says, give us the, he gives the example of bread, not cake. So he's saying that give, he asks for what is vital in your life, not all the extras. He's saying, he's giving us that as a very specific example there. And he's also saying, and I think this is interesting to note, he's using that word again, our. Give us our bread, not my bread. I don't, you know, you think, you read these things and you think, okay, yeah, give me what I need. But he's saying, give us our bread, um, our daily bread. And um, that idea that, again, what we have isn't necessarily ours. It's to be shared with those brothers and sisters around that we have. And the third, that, which brings up the third point, that the bread is a gift. It's not a right. We have not created it. Um, all of material possessions are on loan from God. I think in this world that we live in, we especially here in the United States, we think that we have made it, we have done it. Um, it it's all because of what we are. Um, that uh, that we have this this great um, life that we have here. But just think of yourself if you are magically picked up from this world and all of a sudden you were dropped today in Liberia. I mean, just think of that. Those Liberians, they. They had no choice for this Ebola virus to come about them. They had, um, they can't help and go out, even if they had a, a skill to go work. They can't. They're, they have to stay in their little isolation. They are completely dependent on their food from other sources. And I think, we just think that, that life is going to continue to go on in this merry way that we have. But God is in control of everything. He directs this, this, uh, all these blessings that we have, and we need to remember that it is a gift from Him. We have not created it ourselves, um, and I'm. This is where I'm, I'm just the most guilty. I am just. <laughs> I get in this. I can do things mode all the time, and thinking that it's, uh, that I can handle it, um, but we aren't. We are totally dependent on the Lord, um, and we'll have another whole lesson on that. Um, for going forward, but the, those two parts, God's part, God gives gift of the, our daily bread, our, our needs. Yes, He gives us that gift. Everything we have is from Him. But my part is, I must work to earn it. It's not just going to happen just because He's He's a loving God. We still have to do our part. We have to earn it by working for it. Um, but we're dependent on our on our God for our daily needs. And the next, the next. Um, Thing that he teaches us, he says, "Forgive us our debts, 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the part where, I don't know, whenever, whenever you're in a group setting, like especially at funerals, and um, they're going to say the Lord's Prayer, and you get to that part, and you all just, you, you kind of hesitate because you don't know what word they're going to say. <laughs> are they going to say, are they going to give us our debts? Are they going to say, give us our trespasses? Are they going to say, give us our sins? I mean, it's just that, that little hesitation because we have these different words for the same idea. They're just little different nuances, and I put this in your notes. This idea of debts are those things that we have left undone undone towards our fellow human beings. Like a debt is something you still owe. You still need to pay it back. And I think that's interesting because often I wonder so much um, about the things that God has asked me to do that I have not done. Maybe I've messed up so much doing things that I should have, that I, you know, totally sinned and, and as much as God, did you ask me to do this and I just totally ignored you? And I think that idea too there is um, the idea that to ask for forgiveness for those things that we have not done. The, the times we've not helped our neighbor. The times we've not lent a hand for our, our sons or daughters when they needed help when we could have done it. And um, so I think that's kind of an interesting nuance there to the word debts. Trespasses on the other side or sins is those things, those failings to do the right thing when we did act, when we really mess up. So that's that's the little difference there between the two. But both are correct. All of them are correct. They're all the idea of our sins. And there's this idea that there's this relationship between um, our sins and asking forgiveness for them at the same time as giving forgiveness to the people that we um, have have wronged. Um, there's this interconnection, Jesus says, um, between those two. And he makes a little clarification back in Matthew 6. Um, he says, um, in verse 14, he goes on in this, and he says, if, For if you forgive men when you sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Those are hard words. Those are really hard words to even begin to understand what Jesus is teaching us there. Um, and so there's this, this connection and especially for those people that have really been wronged, I just think um, if you've had just a real um, hurtful thing in your life, how in the world can, we, can, can you completely forgive? And, and, and the only thing I can say is that, that Jesus asks us to. And um, we'll, we'll have another lesson on that hopefully later in the year too, but it's, I don't have time to go in it completely. But he's asking us to forgive in order for us to receive complete forgiveness from him. Um, and that's a really hard thing to do. I think the only thing we can do is we just pray out to our Father. Lord, this is just something really hard for me to do. Uh, really hard for me to pray, um, to actually ask for forgiveness from this person that hurt me so badly. But that's what he's asking us to do here. And I think we need to remember what Jesus did when he was on the cross. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And, and that's, that is not a cry of a, very, of a weak person. That's the cry of a really strong person. If you're able to forgive someone who has wronged you so severely, that is a strong, strong person that you are. That's an amazing character trait that you can do that. It's not the sign of weakness by any means. Um, and the other thing I wanted to note there, that when we ask for forgiveness, it's like asking for bread. It's something we need to do every single day. Maybe even hourly. It's something that we just constantly need to keep, make sure that we are all right with our relationships. So God's part is He forgives. Ours part, and it's a hard one. I must forgive, as hard as that might be to do. Jesus teaches us that we must. It's one of those things we just have to trust Him with. That 
And then he goes on and he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to make a a clarification here. God does not tempt us. I put the verse down there in James 1.13. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. We are admitting here when we pray this, lead us not into temptation, that, that we are uh, have this ability to be completely self-destructing in our own, under our own. And we're asking God to lead us out of these self-destructive things that tempt us. Um, you alone, Jesus, are the only one that can do that. You are the one, Lord. I've, I've got this terrible habit, this terrible thing that keeps tempting me. You, Jesus, are the power and the source that we need to go to when we need to be get delivered from our temptations. We need to, to pray confidently um, to this amazing, powerful God that he will take us away from our temptations. And then there's not only our own temptations within, but we have a tempter without, someone on the outside that is not working on our, on our behalf. And this is the one I do not like to think about. We're talking here about the devil, the evil one. Jesus says, from that evil one. Deliver us from the evil one, Satan, whatever you want to call it. Um, that he is out there, he's, he's there lurking, trying to d- destroy us as best he can. Um, someone asked me just this week, do you think a, a, um, the devil can tempt a believer? Do you think he can entice a believer? And I said, most de- definitely. Or can he have a hold on our lives, I think is exactly how they said it. Yes, he can he can very well do that. Um, we can fall into his traps and into his grip very easily. We need to be wise. We need to be praying for his, for God to protect us. Um, and he, Jesus teaches us that we can call out to him, this powerful God, he will protect us. I felt this fall, um, times when I just, I felt in the grips uh, of Satan. And I, in fact, even, I wasn't going to share this, but I, it just came to mind that this week I had this terrible, terrible dream earlier in the week um, that I was in a, this church setting and there was this dog that was running through the church and um, the, and, and I knew this dog was Satan. I know this is the craziest dream. And and all of a sudden it, it transformed from a dog into, into to, to the devil. I mean I was, and I knew what I had to do. I had to call out in the name of Jesus and I had to say, Jesus, you know, in the blood of Jesus, you know, be away from me. Go away, Satan. Go away. I kept doing this over and over in my dream. And it was, it was just a, such an awful dream. But eventually, the dog, Satan, went away in my dream. And I woke up that morning, and uh, I was just feeling really awful. I think it was Monday. I mean, I just felt terrible about that. And as I was thinking about that this morning in my prayer time, I was thinking, you know what I think what you're saying is that, that the grip that he had on me is gone. I, I, I have felt a lightness the last few weeks about, about some things. So um, we need to pray. And I have been praying specifically for, for Jesus' blood to cover me and protect me from the evil one. But I've been praying that like I never have before. And... Um, it's a powerful prayer. And um, even if it was a really weird dream. <laughs> and then he, so God's part, God guides and he protects me from evil. My part, I must live a righteous life. Look to the Lord for, a re- for rescue, for deliverance from a very real enemy. Do not be blinded by this. There's a very real enemy out there. We need to be praying. 
And then, he, and then we end our prayer with, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And these are, um, um, there was, obviously it's not in the scripture. You won't see that in there. This is just what they believe. The early believers always had a doxology or a praise they would end with. And so this was their praise. It just kind of got tacked on and we've just kind of accepted that as part of the, and it's a glorious thing to pray. I love when we get to get the end of it and we say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What a beautiful thing to end with. Um, I thought, um, Cheryl, if you want to grab, are you around? Yeah. I thought for today, for us to end with, we kind of do the same kind of a doxology. Instead of a prayer, we're going we're gonna to hear a song that's a prayer. And um, if the words are in the back of your thing, of, of your lesson plan, you can either sing it, you can pray it, you can listen to it, you can stand, you can kneel, you can do whatever the Lord leaves. This is just, I thought, a beautiful way to end um, our time today.
Let's pray. Father, I I just thank you so much for this precious gift you've given us where we can come into your throne room and just lay our hearts out before you. Gosh, what a gift that is, Lord. And you you guide us in this difficult world that you've placed us. You've you've placed your Holy Spirit in us, us, and then you've given us this ability to listen to you, to, to prick our hearts where it is you want us to take us and how to be strong. And we can come to you in, in any circumstance, at any time of the day, in this amazing thing God called prayer. Father, I just I know how precious my human friends are to me and, and people that I love that I can touch and I can feel, but they're not always with me. But Lord, you are always with us. You never leave us. And you are always there for us to come to when we need you. Lord, we just come to you today and say how much we need you. Lord, we need you. I know people in this room have have such big issues that are going on in their life. I I bet there's not a person in this room that doesn't have something that's just just on their heart in such a, a, a deep level. Lord, we need you. We need you in our lives in such an amazing ways. Come to us, Lord Jesus. Help us. Strengthen us. Guide us. Heal us. Protect us. We ask this in your holy, your most mighty name, the name of Jesus. In this we pray. Amen. Okay. Okay, push right